On this week's episode of Nymphet Alumni, we agonizingly cosplay as dream interpreters by wading through the glistening fog of none other than Rookie Magazine. We exercise the confessionalism it endowed us with as teenage girls in the 2010s, categorize the different species of feminism it spawned, and lovingly reminisce about the tweed teenage nightmare this magazine represented. Hi, I'm Biz. I'm Alexi. I'm Sam. And uh, this is the third episode of Nymph at Alumni, a podcast about fashion and culture. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Rookie Mag. Um, for those of you that don't know what Rookie Mag is, it was an online magazine for teenage girls founded by Tavi Gevinson in 2011. So Tavi Gevinson was a uh, child fashion star who had a blog called Style Rookie. And from that, she launched the Rookie magazine as a publication for teenagers. She edited Rookie until it folded in 2018 and hosted the Rookie podcast in 2017 and edited all five of Rookie's print anthologies, the yearbook series and Rookie in Love. Yeah, wait, Sam, I feel like it was you that had a very defining rookie memory that I liked. Oh yeah. So um just to talk about some memories I have with this, um, Rookie Mag released a yearbook, uh, which is like a compilation of all of their posts on their online magazine. And I was at Barnes and Noble with my mom. I was like begging her to buy me this rookie yearbook and she was like inspecting it and she opened it up to a page that was titled Do It Yourself. And the uh, article was a guidebook on how to masturbate uh, written by several adult female contributors telling teenage girls <laughs> and guiding them how to masturbate. Um, and my mom was like, why do you want me to buy you a guidebook on masturbation? You're 15. I'm not buying you this. This is awful. And yeah, that was just that was one of my uh, defining rookie memories. Did she buy it for you? So- no. Really? No way. Yeah. No, she she's very puritanical. So it was just a very traumatizing moment for her. She never let me mention Rookie Mag to her again. <laughs> like she remembered the name and didn't let me talk about it. So. That's so funny. I feel like my mom was actually really into it, but she's kind of a feminist type. And every year I got it. I'm trying to remember if it actually fit in my stocking, but it was like one of those things that was like a stocking type of present for Christmas. And I would just have so much fun reading it. And all my friends like somehow got them too. So then we would read them together and pull the stickers out and do all types of shit. But I was a huge rookie fan. I personally also had the experience of having this print version of Rookie Mag. Um, Also, we we should clarify that the rookie yearbook was just a printed version of all of their online articles. It wasn't all of them, though. It was just like a weird selection of. It wasn't all of them. No, but I thought it was for like the year. Like it was like a year's worth of. It's like a year. No, that would be like an insane amount because they publish three times a day. So it was kind of like a best of. Yeah. That's another point I wanted to bring up at the beginning. Like the rookie publishing schedule. It was so weird. Oh, yeah, I found it. So apparently um, Rookie published five days a week, three times a day, roughly just after school at dinner time, And <clears throat> when it's, quote, really late and you should be writing a paper, but our Facebook stalking instead. <laughs> and that, I feel like, says a lot about who they were targeting, like, which was teenagers. Um, just that copy reminds me so much of, like, the millennial guilt-based advertising it's like 
when you're eating cookie dough at 3 a.m. and like trying to adult or something. It's really, but I guess it's kind of cute. I, I do remember that future and it did give me something to do on the hour long bus ride home. Yeah, that's really funny because I, I was reading comments on old rookie posts today because the website is still up, but it's archived. And I noticed a lot of people calling it like an oasis or like being very tranquil which is like I I kind of thought it, it felt kind of like non-aggressive in a way like somehow the format of the website felt like old school I think that was intentional so I think like uh, that goes into sort of why the aesthetic was so fascinating I think like to describe the aesthetic of it was like this like hazy like Robert Altman style daydream. And then it was also just like, like Dollar Tree, like alphabet beads for your bracelet or whatever. And it was very soft and pink and smoky. And like, it all felt like a, like a dream. It it was very dreamy. Yeah. Just from a visual standpoint, the rookie aesthetic, I feel like says so much about their vision for like girlhood. And it was almost kind of like restrictive in a way it was kind of all based on like doodling and collage and cartoons and stickers. And they had these like collage kits that they would make too, that were like basically pre-made like cutouts for making your own rookie style collage. And yeah, just like knowing how to write in cursive was like the most like sellable (laughs) asset you could have to like be a contributor to rookie. I feel like so this is, I guess, I don't know if we should be critiquing them so early, but I remember feeling this like con- conflict between I was going to like a boarding school for art and being forced to take art really seriously, like intellectually and conceptually. But then I was like, I could get so much clout if I just sucked it up and drew a little cartoon of myself, like free bleeding onto my bed with some block letters <laughs> over it. <laughs> like literally, they had so... It was such a defined style and like no one knew how to draw, it seems like, or they were just like forcing themselves to draw in this childlike way. And I guess one of the main questions I have is like, how can you promote this idea that being a teenage girl is so complex and like it's not represented in the media well enough, but then the idea that you're presenting of it is just like, we just like to doodle and like make little silly collages and... um like take pictures of our friends like walking outside but I was like really bad at it I like tried to do the like rookie style doodles and like mine were so busted and they like (laughs) would have not I would post them on my tumblr like I would doodle I would so a very big part of rookie mag culture for those that did not experience it firsthand was like about journaling it was like hyper obsessive journaling and then I feel like a lot of times hand in hand would be like the doodles around it um and it was kind of like a illuminated manuscript (laughs) it's like (laughs) it's like that but it's also like diary of a wimpy kid (laughs) like it's like a girl version of diary of a wimpy kid of which there were many (laughs) books but yeah no I like kept a crazy diary at that time and looking back on it it's literally like drawings of me like staring daggers at like kids in my math class and I'm like (laughs) eyeliner sharp enough to kill a man or some really stupid shit like that something about rookie with it um it made me think of myself very actively as a teenage girl I was like everything I would start writing would be like 
as a 16 and one day year old girl like this is like how my experience was and I feel like that's very um I mean I guess some of that's natural but definitely it forced me to consider my my teenage self very critically no this is something that I think was emblematic of rookie and the messaging that they unintentionally projected was that you have to be really really verbose about your life and your experiences I mean like we were looking at the archives and biz found this like article that was posted there. It was like an eight page, like article just about Morrissey. It was just this girl that wrote like an entire manifesto about her love for Morrissey. And like, it just sort of projected this like extreme verbosity about your life and your experiences. And you have to be like extremely um, invested in how you're feeling and like how you're experiencing the world and you have to be able to describe it. And It just created this like egotistical complex, I think, which like, I think promoted exactly what the magazine set out to destroy, I think, given from their like uh, beginning letter that they did like a the first ever post on there. Um, Tavi Gevinson, the editor said, um, I don't want to even think about what makes someone just your average teenage girl or whether I fit that mold or if that's who will read Rookie. It seems that entire industries are based on answering these very questions. Who is a typical teenage girl? What does she want? And a lot of times, how can we get her allowance? Uh, Rookie is not your guide to being a teen. It's not a pamphlet on how to be a young woman. And that's what that's what it ended up being. It was just... <laughs> yeah, especially the transfer of knowledge. from <laughs> It's not like intergenerational, but from like older millennials to younger ones and the emerging Gen Z was kind of like, it did have this dynamic that was um, like a yeah transfer of knowledge for like really confused teenagers. And a lot of it was based on that like kind of advice setup, like where people would send in questions about style or beauty or love and sex, which those are just like. Yeah, that's like the contrast between the literal teenagers that were running the magazine and then they're like adult uh co-workers was very weird there I remember one of the adults was like that was there constantly was Ira Glass's wife or whatever <laughs> and she would like um sp- like she would be the chaperone during the rookie road trips where all of the like teenage girls that worked there would take like a road trip and she was like the chaperone that was like driving the car and like taking them to like Salvation Mountain and like California and stuff and like Oh yeah, they had a huge photo spread of that in one of the in one of the um, yearbooks. I remember that. As an older like woman, <laughs> not that I'm old, I'm like, <laughs> but I'm like, what do I have to gain from hanging out with like fourteen year olds? Especially like these types of fourteen year olds who are just like are probably asking to pull over like every thirty seconds to take a picture and are just like. <laughs> constant just like totally they're like probably hanging like like Christmas lights in the car and just like making everything really complicated to like aestheticize every moment it just is frustrating I think but it seems like this older woman uh was like very much a friend of the young editors and yeah I I don't know what she was gaining from it I think she maybe was like very much loving the beautiful youth that these girls were experiencing well, I think when we talk about what were the adults game gaining for it, we have to talk about what Tavi Gevinson represented in 2010, because she was a really crazy, she was really famous in her own right. Yeah, she was. It's kind of, she evolved as a character a lot, I think, because 
she was kind of this like enfant terrible of the fashion world and she was just like always at runways then she also had her blog which kind of started as like an ootd type of thing yeah so tavi started as a 11 year old fashion blogger posting her fashion musings and outfits on her website the style rookie and this was like 2010 probably or no no because she was not she was like 15 in 2011 2011 so this was maybe 2008 2009 vibes which was like the i think that was when fashion blogging was in full force but it was still treated with a lot of skepticism by the institution of fashion but she for some reason like would get invited to like new york fashion week all the time and there's like this famous photo of her wearing a giant bow on her head and then like all of the like institution fashion gays like bullied her because like these like adult men because she had like this like massive bow on her head front row so she was like obstructing everyone's view of like <laughs> it's kind of a jojo siwa vibe yes it is a jojo siwa vibe it's jojo siwa and comb digger song is <laughs> yeah but but I don't really know how we decided she was like smart and should have a magazine I guess it's because the things that she probably wrote about her outfits had like a a wisdom or like a wittiness to them I'm guessing yeah I just really to be honest I never understood like I feel like I was too young to understand style blogging while it was going on and it's just so weird like would they just post these pictures of them like looking down <laughs> these OOTD pictures that are so they're very formatted which is why I don't understand how that led to something as expansive as like the rookie verse which contains not just pictures of you standing in an outfit but pictures of you standing in an outfit in a field pretending to run around (laughs) well I feel like the rookie aesthetic first came from Tavi because she was obsessed with dressing like a like quirky grandma that was her whole thing and then I feel like that kind of like um tweeness was also I feel like that's maybe the the through line is that all rookie mag shoots were really twee mm-hmm. and I feel like people treated they treated her like a prodigy for creating these like outfits yeah I mean she was definitely like for her age good at making outfits I honestly like style at that time was so weird that I can't look at it and like place it in its time as like this was fashionable in 2008 because like I really was not like that tuned in to it I was like eight years old yeah like um I mean Tavi was in a way a prodigy because like you know she was 11 years old and she was wearing like vintage like Rei Kawakubo and shit and that's not something that 11 year olds are supposed to be wearing and she was also very verbose but kind of like how we do have sort of like a neoliberal obsession with like child prodigy. Like I think Biz uh, in conversation with us compared Tavi, the obsession with Tavi to like the obsession with like Greta Thunberg. And that I think is like an interesting insight because I think that especially modern day uh, neoliberalism or whatever is kind of obsessed with children (laughs) because they want to like off shoulder, like a lot of the like future responsibilities onto like a child who is not like you can't actually blame a child for messing up anything because they're a kid like they don't a child is like the ultimate pure irresponsible creature or whatever and like this was what people were trying to do with people like 
Tavi and Greta Thunberg is like projecting their own like desire to like not take responsibility for like the death of the future or something. Yeah, it's definitely it seems more insidious in Greta's case just because it's like not just political, but like the whole future of the entire planet now rests on her <laughs> shoulders. But with Toppy, it's just weird because it's like an aesthetic kind of like handing off, like you're basically admitting like, actually, I don't think that's true. I think that what she was doing is very like in style at the time. It's not like she was like creating a new style, but also I'm not like an expert on that time period. But yeah, it's also like Billie Eilish, like this fetishization of like people that just keep getting younger and younger and you're just like, addicted to seeing how they're going to grow up. I think adults also like have that interest in like predicting a future for a young prodigy. It's kind of like a Hunger Games-esque like thing. Uh, I agree about how it's kind of like adults displacing their own failure to, to make a better future or like alleviate the sufferings of the contemporary moment because like, so Rookie when it was first debuted was kind of thought to be like this, sassy mag 2.0 and if you don't know what like sassy mag is it's like this og 90s cool mag i guess for teenage girls and it was founded by jane pratt and apparently chloe 70 interned there but anyway so jane jane pratt she's kind of like her own like type of feminist media mogul she like had sassy mag which failed and then she had jane mag which failed and then she had XO Jane, which failed. So she had a lot of failures, but I think she had a lot of good ideas about like, I don't know, women being able to make the content they want or something. But at the same time, Jane Pratt founded Sassy Mag when she was 24. So there's like a huge difference between like a, like 24 is obviously very young to like start your own magazine, but like there's a huge difference between like a 24 year old and a 15 year old, which is like, what Jane Pratt was endorsing because she was kind of trying to like partner up with Tavi at first and then she backed out at the end but yeah I think she was definitely trying to like give it another go yeah I guess like teenage girls like shouldn't make their own content or something it's also yeah kind of just like the difference between that happening in print media versus like digital media seems really important to note but also yeah Rookie Mag got so much of their influence from the 90s like the whole riot girl thing they were really obsessed with and the propagation of girl gangs everywhere yeah that was like my education on what (laughs) riot girl feminism was like putting patches on a jacket and having dyed hair um yeah, but the fact that it was digital, I mean, as we were looking through the comments of, like, old rookie posts, I was really surprised, like, people were like, oh, I want to dress like this, but I live in a small village in Hungary or something, and I'm like, wow, that seems like that really sucks. <laughs> like, it is very American-centric, and... Rookie definitely kind of um, was inspired by the kind of, like, Americana schoolgirl look that was already really popular with american apparel and stuff and um but interestingly enough like the main person who was documenting this this style obsession of theirs was petra collins who is a canadian just like dove charney but on the op it's kind of like the opposite end of the spectrum where they would do almost they would do shoots that were pretty much like identical to what you would expect from an american apparel shoot but when they would receive pushback, they'd be like, oh, this is like really reminds me a lot of like American apparel and like the sexualization of schoolgirls or whatever. 
they would come back like blazing with like actually this is just teenage girls being themselves and like you're um saying that because your mind is like uh fucked up by like the male gaze so it was like it was just like the opposites i think when we first started seeing the like power how powerful the idea of empowerment with dress could be made out to be yeah and like choice feminism they're definitely a huge propagator of yeah like did you say choice feminism yeah just like any decision that woman make that a woman makes is like feminist because she's like choosing to do it which i think when you're like that young is not really that true i don't know i just thought that comment was like so weird tavi's response to um one of the comments on i think it's called school school spirit is what school it was spirit. yeah yeah it's so classic oh yeah someone should read it so a commenter on a photo shoot that Patrick Collins did that was like a schoolgirl vibe said, uh, I love the mood and styling, exclamation, but the lack of ethnicity um, <laughs> seems like the clothes <laughs> are exclusive to slender Caucasian looking girls, which is really off-putting. High school is beautiful slash awkward for every type of lady. I know, y- I know you know, and I wish it were evident. And then... Sam, if you want to read Tavi's response at the end, you made a really good point about how <laughs> she had this like amazing sense of managerial status in the way she was kind of dealing with criticism at the age of like 15. Yeah, she that's what really shocked me about this response is like she is writing like a like my boss would write to me or something. Like it's like, hey Jane Merrily, I'm glad that you wrote this. We aren't happy with the lack of ethnic and body shape diversity in the first month of rookie either. All we can say is that so much has had to come together so fast to make this site that we couldn't even get everything that we wanted right from the start. Uh, like it, we're working on making sure every type of lady is represented now that now that the site is up and we have more time to be more directly involved in the content than the tech side. Not that you shouldn't be pointing this out, of course. These things are important. And I appreciate that you wrote this without trying to attack us. Thanks, Tavi. That's just like so frustrating to me because I don't, I just don't like when people talk like this. Um, it's like passive. It is very like managerial, like kind of like your boss is saying something. I hate it, but no, like no offense to, you know, a 15 year old talking like this. Yeah, I agree. I feel like something that people would say about a response like that was like, oh, wow, she's like so mature. But then they're also neglecting the fact that like, you have to be in like a very unusual headspace to be a 15 year old that's able to create those thoughts at like 14 or not 14, like in 2010, like that was just not really how kids that age were talking. But in, in other news, Petra Collins replied to it and said, yes, don't worry, Jane Merrily. I have all types of girls up my sleeve. This is just one shoot out of many different ones, XXX. I, that feels more on par for how a lot of people were talking about this stuff back then. Yeah, I mean, Tavi was like an early girl boss. Like she, the way that she wrote, which I think her writing is beautiful. And honestly, like I'm still a fan of hers because what she did was like very incredible and it wasn't without its faults, but there is something about her tone that is like, and I, I thought about this when I was kind of trying to evaluate what Rookie Mag was trying to like sell to people. And I felt like it was sort of like a how-to guide on how to become like an NPR liberal with like this like perky little like t- 
tone. And it was just like, I was like reading like David Sedaris books when I was like 15 years old because of like Rookie Magazine and like listening to like Carol King and like Helen Reddy and like all of these like old people music. And I just felt like I was like a coastal elite, even though I was living in like Corpus Christi, Texas, which is like this derelict Southern town. It, something about it was very much influencing people, I think, to become a certain type of person. I don't think that anyone understood that this is what it was doing, though. Yeah. In terms of how it propagated, like, neoliberal vibes, I think, yeah, at the center of it all is really individualism. And I think Rookie Mag is kind of a proto-form of cultivating main character energy and kind of instructing teenagers to romanticize their lives, not only through, like, imagery, but through this, like, excessive introspection and, like, self-reflection and, like, a curating of the self that was very unnatural. And I I guess I understand how it became, like, an oasis for me and other teenagers, but now looking back on it, it just feels like really uncomfortable (laughs) and like it was I don't know I was definitely like forcing myself to conform in just like another way which isn't like like a super great point like this obsessive individuality just creates more conformity because I remember having like my friends that were into rookie and then my friends that weren't and it was like a very clear definition of like what it was like to hang out together and like take pictures for Instagram and things like that so um I think that's a really good point the individualism creates more conformity that is like a really good way of putting it this is like an anti-alt podcast oh that's what I was gonna say I was gonna say like um a lot of people describe rookie as like this oasis from like their boring little small towns because it was like the one outlet they had to like alternative culture and they describe this so emotionally like it was saving them from something And like, what's so bad about not being alternative? Like, how is this actually helping you? Like being an alternative person, how is this saving you from anything? If anything, it's just like giving you the main character energy that's going to like fuck up the rest of your life. Like, Yeah. And it's also just like, people would always be like, it's finally a space like for teenage girls. And I'm like, there are lots of teenage girls that go to your school. Like, why don't you talk to them? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's a really stupid point. But I also just remember like at this time, I was really like turning away from everyone that went to my school and just like spending most of my time online, like logging onto Tumblr and being like, oh, all of these hicks in my town, like they don't get me. But not the greatest mentality looking back on it, but... I guess we are an anti-alt podcast. We've all normified in <laughs> recent years to an extent. And I'm still stuck on this idea of like doodleification, <laughs> like that I was talking about with Biz. The whole point of Rookie was that you were supposed to like make yourself into this very digestible character that you could draw easily and insert into different scenarios easily. And a lot of the I mean, it really wasn't like social etiquette that it was teaching you. It was in contrast to like traditional women's magazines. It was like cultivating, cultivating discord, (laughs) not discord, but just like boosting your ego to an extent where like you can't relate to anyone around you because you're like, I am way smarter than everyone I know. And I like I'm listening to this right girl music. Like no one understands me. Um. (laughs) Um, so, you know, the girl in 10 Things I Hate About You, who's kind of like a feminist bitch character, I feel like Rookie was grooming us into becoming (laughs) that kind of character. And 
learning how to have epic comebacks to like the frat boys at your school who told you you were weird or something. But at the same time, it was also kind of a victim mentality. Wait, I don't know. I think that, that I mean, I think it is like what's interesting about the frat boy comeback thing is like, I feel like you wanted the frat boys to bully you so that you could give a snarky little comeback. Like you wanted it. There was a lot about this that was like both combative and also very like, subjugating for like in a lot of ways like I think that you wanted to live out the experiences that were being described in Rookie Mag and I think it gave us almost like this like victim energy because like you know we talk about like the rise of like selfie feminism and like posting pictures of yourself like laid like strewn across your bed like crying and that just sort of like gives out this energy to creepy men you know, your like messaging reads as like, you know, I wish to be victimized. Like I am seeking to do this because you're like aestheticizing your suffering. Yeah, definitely. And you're so eager to, I guess, like be provoked in a way. Well, I just feel like, yeah, when you have your entire, when like intimacy is your public brand, it's going to get twisted. Um and also vulnerability, I think, more than intimacy. Yeah. And just, like, extreme openness about yourself and your feelings and your body. Fuck, what was I going to say? Something? Feminism? Hmm. Um, Clapback set for boys. Well, it's like, it's like there's a dialectic. There's oh. a dialectic between being dumb and being a bitch. And that's, like, the um, rookie mag, I think, definitely had that going on. Yeah, they're the yeah. synthesis. Yeah, the synthesis. <laughs> so, <laughs> speaking of victimization, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of victim. Anyways, so one really interesting segment of Rookie Mag that really lives in our minds, rent free, is um, ask ask an adult because they basically got every single famous adult person who is like an uh, a coastal elite to chime in on some topic and some of the topics were very like weird yeah I think we would ask like it'd be like ask Hannibal Burris like if it's embarrassing to fart in front of your crush like, <laughs> and it's just like the weirdest shit ever. Like, it was just like a, not something that I wanted to be seeing but I did I wanted I think I like sent in a question once. Maybe like John Mann and like um who are some of the weirder ones of like Ask a Grown Man? Vampire Weekend. <laughs> Ask a Grown Man Vampire Weekend. Well yeah. actually that video is not online anymore. I just saw. Um let's see. Uh well, I can just read a couple examples. Actually oh, Ask a Grown Man, the Lonely Island. So hot. Love those guys. So did you guys take any of this advice? Because I personally I don't, I don't remember it very well, but I'm sure I did. And I'm sure I like gave this cause I, I made it, I was like a secret that I liked rookie maggot and tell anybody about it. Nobody I knew knew about it, but I didn't want to introduce it to anybody. <laughs> I just felt like, an, I know it's a gatekeeping rookie. I also felt very embarrassed to tell people up until like, I was like maybe 20. I did not want to tell people that I read this cause it felt embarrassing up that I was like, like podcast. <laughs> it's your coming out, actually. I'm coming out as a rookie mag reader. I, if it wasn't obvious before, it just feels like an embarrassing, like the confessional aspect of it. I, 
I felt it even back then. And I was like, this is so self-indulgent, but I want, I, it feels so good to be confessional and just like adopting that tone. Yeah. I mean, not to come out as like a high school femme cell, but I really, it wasn't even like I was, I was voluntarily celibate because I just hated everyone in my school so much um, and was really disgusted by the people in my town. But to me, like rookies advice type posts, it's really stunning how most of these concerns are about timing. Like every other ask that they sent in was like, I'm whatever age and I haven't lost my virginity yet. Or like, I'm whatever age and I haven't kissed a boy or been in a relationship. And I remember feeling really comforted by reading about this because like, in every case, they would just be like, oh, it's going to happen to you eventually. And it's like, this isn't really advice. It's kind of more like... Um, just a statement assur- of the obvious. Yeah, just like assurance that like, things yeah. might turn out better. I mean, when you're dealing with like people that are this young, like most of the time the advice is just like, just wait and you'll see. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we should have had to sign a waiver. Like they should have made us sign a waiver that was like, if you follow our virginity advice, like we're not held responsible for what may happen. They needed to put one of those on the fucking, like, on the toilet paper tampon. Oh my god. I, I am just estimating that's responsible for the death of at least, like, 40 women. Perpetrated so much toxic shock syndrome. I know, literally. I used that. That was that was actually a life-saving technique for me. It saved me from a lot of embarrassment. But it was also just so gross and repulsive that you don't want to get it. You just... If you know, you know. If you don't, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to tell like you. Something that should literally just be carved into, like, the wall of a bathroom stall. It should yeah. be instruction. Most rookie things should just be on the bathroom stall. <laughs> Let's just say that sometimes I took this, <laughs> this advice from adults a little bit too seriously. <laughs> oh, um, also, speaking of period blood, um, I wanted to, like, sort of mentioned the bizarre energy surrounding Petra Collins. Um, Like, especially her demeanor, it's just like, she's obviously very beautiful. She's just like thin, um, like wafy, androgynous, 70s looking model. Uh, But there's also something about her that's like very ghostly. Um, Hold on, sorry. It's almost like she's... Almost like she's like been held in a basement for like 30 years. You know, it's like she was beautiful as a young woman, but her evil stepmother <laughs> like held her there she's like 55 <laughs> they really all do have old lady vibes like they're yeah. ready-made elderly woman yeah like Tavi's wisdom i was like why are you so wise like wh- why are you telling me this right now but the point that i was going to make is that i feel like rookie mag one thing that they were good at doing was i guess i would call it like dress code feminism i remember like the central experience of me going to school like freshman and sophomore year was just like wearing something totally inappropriate like super short skirt and then getting dress coded and then having some like dumb shit to say like sorry I don't abide by your patriarchal standards <laughs> and it was all very based on feminism in the sense of like what was going on in your life and it was also kind of the vibe of like whenever you get cat called just like flipping guys off and getting so much pleasure off of like being oh, like, fuck yeah. you like I'm not a part of your little game or something but the fact that I was actually getting upskirted at school every day I'm like maybe they were trying to help me yeah. because my school didn't even have a strict dress code like I actually was just like borderline like <laughs> I was really pushing it um yeah. but I think rookie really gave me such a bitchy attitude about everything I thought that I was smarter than all adults and knew what was best for me and 
was very much my body, my choice pill. Oh, so um, that was completely true of my experience as well. I really internalized the dress code aspect of rookie feminism. I'm also really tall and like um, have long limbs. So I would like, I literally was like, this is like <laughs> diabolical what they're doing to me. And I remember I got dress coded one time um, for the first time. Like I, I, got, I got sent to ISS, which is like in school suspension. Oh, love ISS. <laughs> It was the only time I ever went there, and I remember going down there, and, like, this is so annoying. I, like, you know how you can't, you're not, you can't go on your phone? You're supposed to just, like, stare at, like, the the boiler, like, in the room. <laughs> yeah, they don't even teach you anything. You yeah, just you, you're supposed to have a, a book to read, but honestly, I got, like, a year's worth of work done in ISS. You're supposed to, like, like meditate. <laughs> well, I remember writing, like, a literal, like, rookie-inflected manifesto on paper (laughs) and I didn't do anything with it it was just me like being so angry in that moment that I was like I have to write down all of these angry thoughts that I have about how it's unfair that I am being subject to the male gaze while I'm in algebra class and like I I literally am looking at this picture where I like this is like I don't know if you guys can see this outfit do you see it oh my god a little bit yeah you have like a a flannel tied around your waist. It's like a, like a, a tiny dress. And I captioned it. This is like really embarrassing. So like I'm really going to put myself on the line. <sighs> this is so embarrassing. It's 95 degrees out. But if I wear this to school, my bare shoulders might cause a boy to jizz on his <laughs> fractions. <laughs> so don't worry. I'll sweat it out so your kid can keep up his record of academic mediocrity and like i can't believe that i was like i felt so justified in my dress code feminism it really was the moment and i think it was also just like tumblr like these kind of posts would go viral it's like if my shoulders are distracting you like that's your problem or some shit that was like you know it's not my fault that like you were getting a boner like all that type of shit and it was always like really clap back you like which is what that was yeah yeah yeah. it's it's always the shoulders like shut up yeah yeah i mean for me it was actually my school had this really unfair rule that like i'm still (laughs) i think is unfair but it was like shorts or skirts had to be fingertip length and i'm like okay some of these bitches like literally are two feet tall and like they're their hands don't even like reach past their hips but I just had like really long arms and so I was subject to different rules and I would just like go on a crazy rant about it and they were just like okay bitch just like please go change like put on some scrubs that we have in the nursing office and like shut up but yeah no clapback feminism also I feel like one thing that radicalized me also was the blurred lines music video which like made oh my god yeah it literally was like why did that radicalize me into feminism? I like anytime it came on at like TJ Maxx, I would like go on the same reverse rant that was like a text post I read on Tumblr about like objectification. Objectification really was like the type of I don't know patriarchy that everyone was <laughs> the most annoyed with instead of like anything else. I feel like this is a good segue into talking about Petra Collins because she had a very particular type of female gaze which I think was a type of like self-objectification because when you remove the male gaze and men are no longer objectifying you naturally women are going to objectify themselves like I just think that this is something that happens and also 
in terms of like clapback feminism or whatever. This is like very teenage pubescent girl because these girls are extremely chaotic. This is like a horrible time in people's lives. It's gross. <laughs> it's disgusting. Um, it's revolting. And you're just like dealing with like nature and it's just like the winds of like the gods are just like pulling you back and forth. And Patrick Collins was able to aestheticize the revolting aspects of femininity in a very beautiful way. And I think that that very much is like what encapsulates the female gaze is like, not only is it a self-objectification, but it's like the objectification of the things that can't normally be objectified, like period periods and stretch marks and things that shouldn't be objectified. <laughs> Make it stop. Yeah. I'm just like, just shave. <laughs> I'm going to go comment under all of her pictures with the razor emoji. <laughs> She's so triggered by shaving. Like, it literally is her, like, kryptonite, actually. Yeah, she definitely... I mean, she wrote a literal full-length op-ed for the Huffington Post about Instagram deleting her account where she posted a, a pic where you can see her pubes. And, um, I mean, I don't think that would be allowed to be published anymore. Like, they would be so... This is a white woman taking up space type vibes. I think it's also like if you showed a man's pubes it would also get taken down I really don't think that is I don't know this is like selfie feminism I swear every girl was like Instagram censoring me because I showed my nipples I'm like yeah like it's a platform <laughs> that has guidelines like <laughs> there's kids on here like it's true you're not I know they're like to be... why can't I show my whole naked body I'm like maybe post it on Twitter like I don't know what to tell you this isn't like a personal attack on your body like yeah. whatever it's not a trend that I enjoyed Freeing Nipple was definitely the same time as Rookie Mag definitely yeah. is there a weirdness in telling teenage girls to free the nipple like I don't remember mm -hmm. specifically reading that as a talking point but it seems like it was probably mentioned I think that we were just teenage girls when the free the nipple movement was really popping off <laughs> and we wanted to participate because we were already participating in like the selfie feminism of that era. And I definitely participated. <laughs> um, and that's horrible. That's horrific. I don't know if we should add in like a critique of pedophiles. because <laughs> Pedophilia bad. Obviously, pedophiles have a lot to gain by telling young women that, you know, don't let them censor your body. Just like be yourself. But when it's coming out of Tavi's mouth, it's a little different. <laughs> yeah. But she didn't. She didn't know. That's the thing. And she wrote right about wrote about this in her article for the cut, which is like she had no idea that whenever you're like telling teenage girls to like sexually liberate yourself, you're just making yourself again giving yourself the victim energy that makes you like prey for pedophiles. Well, I agree. I, I think the victim energy is maybe stronger now than it was then. But back then, I feel like it was just a, a certain pursuit of pleasure that was encouraged that led us to enter situations that historically have been discouraged by sexual norms. So like, not going over to someone's house if you don't know them, like if someone, you know, hook up or something. Which obviously is very normal now because of Tinder, but when you're a teenager and you're using Tinder and you're very rookie-brained, I think all of these things can have very startling consequences. Um, I think this is a good time probably to mention that uh, Nymphet Alumni is like a play on the uh, culture that was partially perpetuated by Rookie Mag of um, the objectification of like the youthful teenage girl that we all were subjected to and 
are very critical of um, because it was very traumatizing to us, I think. Yeah, um, Rookie, I think, was definitely critical of the nymphet thing, which we talked about with uh, them, you know, being like, actually, teenage girls just wear cheerleader uniforms. But I think they still perpetuated it in their own way. Yeah, and um, I was going to make a joke about the industrial complex, but really it wasn't quite so organized. It really was just so many forces coming together on places like Tumblr that, you know, people were desperate or young girls were desperate to find a way to see themselves through media. And it led to (laughs) the whole Nymphet um, movement. I don't want to call it a movement. It's like not... it's like coming back into culture now as it well. Is. Um, and I think it's the exact same reason why it's coming into culture now is like, you know, as you're a young woman, you're having a sexual awakening or like a realization of your sexual capital. You are trying to find ways to use it that often end up like as you get older, you realize that um, it's not quite as subversive as you once thought. Um so that's why we're alumni, not to say that we're not young. I mean, <laughs> still are. Speak for but... yourself, Lex. <laughs> I know. I'm 47 years old. Some of you guys might think are pedophile <laughs> audience. Yeah, I think we've. Uh, we should also mention that we are anti-pedophilia. Yeah. Um, and that's the last we'll ever say of that <laughs> should be a given but these days yeah I think our name has kind of um, led to a misunderstanding of sorts with like one person <laughs> it's not I feel like we got like added to like the pedophile register but like that's not the case um, yeah, um, crisis yeah and I think a lot of the ask an adult segments like that I don't know Actually, I don't know if this was Ask an Adult, but Biz, you linked one that was like a bunch of famous people talking about when they lost their virginity. And the fact that so many of those experiences for them were like awkward or bad or just like weird made me feel like maybe I shouldn't like wait to do it with someone that I actually care about. Like maybe I should have like a quirky story that it's not traumatic, but like I was just like in pursuit of a more interesting life and yeah I was like it's okay to have like awkward weird like quirky experiences and do weird shit when you're young well it's the millennial um thought like the millennial ideology that was handed down like Lena Dunham was in that losing virginity thing and I remember that one episode of girls which I thought was really brilliant it's like where Lena Dunham like goes and tries to like get her boss to like have sex with her because she thinks it'll make her like more interesting and that's very much the, the legacy of millennial culture that, like, Rookie was trying to hand down to Zoomers. Also, she was doing it because she was like, it's empowering to sleep with this person. Yeah. yeah. It's just, like, encouraging, or they weren't really, like, directly encouraging it, but, like, risk-taking behavior in the interest of, like, setting yourself apart from your peers, I guess. I think we need to talk about how the most, I, I think, personally, the most iconic and widely distributed image of the rookie like machine is patrick collins's photo of my sister's boyfriend fox like that's like a that's like a meme Mm -hmm. and i don't think anything else image wise from what they are putting out like reached that level of like notoriety 
Yeah, I think it's just, just very good for Tumblr because it is like a striking image, but then it also has like a really short caption that makes the image meaningful, which like a lot of the times images on Tumblr were very decontextualized from what was happening. But those two stuck together somehow. I mean, I'm sure there was a version that like had the caption deleted. But that screenshot that you posted with Biz that actually had like wholesome reactions where they were like, imagine how he was feeling in this moment. I'm like, didn't really see that version uh, <laughs> where people were like, saying that it was um, interesting just because I was on like irony Tumblr. But yeah, it's seriously that phrase would get tacked onto any picture of a person or object in solitude and it would be like my sister's boyfriend fox on his last day of high school i also it's so cringy to think back now i'd like say that out loud at school and no one would know what the fuck i was talking about <laughs> that's how you know a girl is annoying if she's ever tweeted the words my sister's boyfriend fox like it, yeah like, start her uh her twitter account if you see that it's a no yeah it's a no for me dog i'm like happy that i yeah i don't think there's any public record of my sister's boyfriend box attached to my digital persona i do i'm not gonna lie like whenever i saw that it kind of hit different like today he's so hot he's literally so hot i'm like we need to do another forensic investigation of like is he still dating pedro collins sister like did he go to college i used to follow Anna Collins, who's her sister, who weirdly was a ballet teacher or something. So, you know, kind of very beautiful and mysterious in her own right. And it seems like they were together for forever. I don't know oh if they God. still are, but I think he... Um, they really need to have a kid. His name is Fox Atticus. Can you believe that? <gasps> That's oh, really wow. like me writing a fan fiction. That was <laughs> like in my really shitty like hipster baby names list from so long ago. Yeah, all of the Petra Collins photos had like this very libidinal charged libidinally charged like teenage like that feels very Cain and Abel like this like she's coveting Fox oh yeah I didn't even think you know that. like that's very fanfic to me like that's what that caption is telling me I know I'm like why are you looking at your sister's boyfriend huh like where is she at <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at a picture of um my sister's boyfriend Fox his girlfriend and Selena Gomez in a club and it's like so oh my god he's still trade for sure <laughs> he's trade he's like <laughs> the original trade he's so hot but really like i didn't i don't know why i it literally didn't hit me that like you i don't know i couldn't relate to the experience of graduating high school all the times so i saw that picture so then when i saw it today like probably for the first time since i've graduated high school i was just like yeah it's really like that it definitely made me obsessed with commodifying my youth but i thought it was very artful that i was doing it Rookie was constantly reminding you that, like, this is your youth. Like, what are you doing with it? Because, like, your friends are taking weird pictures in a field. And every, like, um, so many of these, like, photography series in Rookie are this very, I don't know, it's, like, halfway between an editorial and halfway between just, like, taking pictures of your friends. Like, so aspirational to traditional fashion imagery. But it just Mm -hmm. has this sense of, like, awkwardness that I feel like they weren't really aware of. And, like, everyone in the comments is like... OMG, like, this is so good. Like, I wish I had people to take pictures with me in my, like, weird town in, like, Norway or something. Um, I guess this is, like, 2011, but it had some overlap with Instagram. But now I'm, like, today people would just post this on Instagram and not try to say it's, like, a photo series. Like, it's just pictures mm-hmm. of you and your friends. But one thing about Rookie is that, you know, we were talking about how it, like, grooms you to be this type of archetype of a teenage girl that's, like, kind of cunty and rebellious and the fact that this is also happening like with the rise of social media it's just like such a conundrum because 
you want to be like super mysterious but like everything about you is available online and I just remember seeing like the kinds of older people that I would meet like at random house shows or like DIY type events I like would romanticize them so much in my head and just be like oh it's cool older girl with like purple hair but then like you see these people on social media and you're just like you're actually like the lamest person ever so I think as I was looking at my sister's boyfriend Fox it's like it's so impossible to maintain the sense of mystique that they were trying to cultivate around images and around people and around themselves Um, that's something also you had mentioned earlier in the podcast like how uh this all happened like during the transition from like print media to digital media and Petra Collins said in an interview somewhere that she felt like she was using Tumblr because everything culturally and artistically was so dry and like you were able to like recycle all of these old images and I feel like that's very true it's like but I think almost like spiritually if you keep recycling something it just becomes like washed up Mm -hmm. and I think like that's what I think that was the downfall of Rookie. It became corporatized. It like was thrown into like the neoliberal meat grinder and it was no longer anything transgressive or unique. And it was very much something that pro- prided itself on being unique. Like that was the whole brand. You know, it, it also prided itself on being very radical because it had this like feminist thing. But I really think like their feminist, uh, the feminism of Rookie came from like a nostalgia of the 70s and the 90s that were sort of like melded together. It was always like I think a lot of these mm-hmm. like identitarian politics are like a nostalgic revisitation of something and they're corrupt from the start because they don't challenge anything meaningful. Yeah, I think I would say more 60s than 70s. It's very, I don't know, they were obsessed with like dressing mod and like, yeah things like that but definitely 90s for sure it was very nostalgia based it was kind of hard to understand like what was new that was being produced out of it besides just like an attitude it was very disorienting because yeah from the beginning they were definitely doing a lot of like mimetic art of 60s and 90s feminism but i think that yeah they never really tried to make to be avant-garde i guess I think it's just like an inevitable problem if you are making kind of like organization that's founded on youth, like you grow up and the reader base grows up and they can't really relate to it anymore, but the youth of the time can't really either. I'm like, would Gen Z today even like, would they see Rookie Mag and like see themselves reflected in it? I'm like, it's not glitchcore enough. Like, <laughs> I've been seeing the Zoe Deschanel twee aesthetic. I send you those TikToks where people talk about the early indie girl coming back and I think that tweeness is kind of uh related I think that's in like people that are our age though like not to call us washed up but I think it's like not a genuine production of like people that are younger <laughs> like I mean like people that are like actual teenagers right now like what do they care about there's something very interesting because I think that there's like a zoomer maximalism but there's also like a zoomer norminess to there's like an adoption there's no longer a desperate need to be as an as like individualistic as millennials are i think yeah I think that, or at least not like a need to show it so obviously like in every aspect of your life i think like yeah. the essence of being a zoomer is like you look completely normal you're wearing like nike shorts or something and then like online you are like doing cosplay and like being a freak with like neo pronouns or something did you guys know that i met tavi one time no way yeah i did a very embarrassing story to tell 
<laughs> Tell us this. <laughs> Jumping up and down. This was probably like 2015, maybe. And I feel like that was like past the prime of rookie, but it was still definitely going strong and it was still definitely really influential. That was probably when Petra Collins was first starting to enter like the mainstream, maybe like shooting Carly Rae Jepsen for a music video or something. They used, I guess they used to have like live events, but yeah. So they had one, and it was um in Dumbo in Brooklyn, in this like massive bookstore that was like really nice and really bougie. And I went to it with my friend Lucia, and I really didn't like it. I can't remember who was there. I know Tavi was there. Obviously, a lot of teenage girls were there. And then, as far as like other figures that were kind of like celebrities in the rookie verse there's this girl named gabby noon do you guys remember her oh my god yeah i still follow her she like had this she had like black hair and she had like wind down in her which i guess they all did but she like would always wear those um pom-pom earrings do you remember that alexi like mm-hmm. she's like a fiction author now yeah but i liked her because she was kind of traditionally pretty yeah she was she looks like the marvelous mrs Maisel vibes like very well manicured but yeah i just remember that there was like this like weird over enthusiastic energy in the room and i think that's really what he was all about was like fangirling and so it makes sense when they had live events that they themselves would bring that energy but i do think sometimes like a little detached coolness could have done them some good. Yeah. But yeah, Tavi was very small and chipper in person. That's what I would imagine her to be. Yeah, the detached coolness is, I think that would have been much better for teenagers. There was, it was just too charged um, mm-hmm. in every way possible. And uh, I mean, I do think that it did do some really awesome things. Like there, I was like reading all these old articles and there was like a lot of them where I was like, I wanted to stop what I was doing and like read all of them because they were actually like really entertaining and funny like there's this one that I really loved that I remembered was like literally the best thing ever fictional rich people from the 1980s that was like such a funny cute little article and just like talking about like Joan Collins and like I think like it did do some like really interesting pop culture commentary but it got as the years progressed, it started getting more and more caught up in this like identitarian narrative where it just became like a confessional diary for everyone that was writing articles for it. And it no longer became like a pop culture, like like review site or something. Yeah, maybe the best example of this is that there's this girl that I guess I was mutuals was on Tumblr and she kind of decided to start her own rookie-esque kind of online teenage girl publication so she did that and she asked me to like write something for it. So I did and I like, it was some sort of like style reflection. And it's just like going from, yeah, kind of having that precociousness. But now she's like, I don't know if we should leave this in or not, but like now she's just like an OnlyFans girl and is like super <laughs> obsessed like, with like posting on Instagram being like, I just fucked your dad, like that type of vibe. Which, like, there's nothing wrong with that, but there does seem to be, like, a um some sort of pipeline. I don't know. It's, it just feels like I'm, like, where are the rookie girls now? Like, there's obviously millions or something. I think they're all embarrassed. They don't want to talk about it. Like Yeah, they all are probably having some huge, like, identity crisis. I think probably, like, half of them at least have become non-binary or, like, trans mask <laughs> because of how strained their relationship is with femininity after that whole debacle. It was interesting when you were mentioning Gabby Noon, like, of course there was this, it was almost like a rockabilly vibe. I feel like in the 
like 2010s like why was everyone looking to this version of femininity that was like 1950s like 60s esque um because it really didn't look great on everyone yeah it was like the music like garage rock revival um, yeah it really was too like it aged me so much like trying to wear like red lipstick and eyeliner every day it was like well i think that's kind of like where the spillover from millennial culture comes in because that was very like ironic um but the way millennials would do like the rockabilly thing and very like taste-based and i feel like they probably were part of that in a way yeah a lot of it was just so like decontextualized like i feel like i didn't really get a genuine education of fashion history just like how to do twiggy makeup (laughs) like it kind of was like almost too casual like there wasn't really any real citation or like referencing of anything besides just like a link to like a youtube video so i feel like i didn't really like grow i don't know i was exposed to like a lot of things but my like breadth of culture i guess increased but like the depth of my understanding of like anything really wasn't but sam i I thought it was really a good point when you were mentioning this like npr kind of like liberal vibe that everyone had and I mean like because I lived in the south I felt so like lucky to be interacting with like that side of elitist culture I don't know and the type of celebrities that they would constantly introduce it was like a guide into like all types of media you should be consuming yeah people who have criticized Ricky before have said this it was very much selling the childhood and teenhood of a coastal elite like Mm -hmm. middle, upper middle class girl to like people who just didn't have that life experience. I don't think that's necessarily like that bad of a thing. I just think that it is kind of a limited scope aesthetically and it can be kind of boring. Like I don't think politically like it matters, but I I think it it is Mm -hmm. just a very boring aesthetic. And as it's aged, looking back (laughs) on it, it's like super embarrassing. Yeah, definitely. I'm not, like, woke scolding them for, like, why aren't you guys showing, like, more trailer trash for my town? But, yeah, it did get old really fast. (laughs) Is there any equivalent of Rookie now? Like, well, we should mention that Tavi's had some kind of revivals of the Rookie brand throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Most recently, she's had, very recently, just a few months ago, she launched a podcast with Amazon, which is, like, weird. (laughs) Get that bag. Yeah, you know, do do it, do what you gotta do. <laughs> I mean, I skimmed her goodbye letter, and it seemed like what she was saying is that they just didn't have enough money to keep things going independently, and she didn't want to sell out, basically. Yeah. But I think also she was like, "I'm 22, and you guys are stinky babies." <laughs> <laughs> Like, I can't be your babysitter anymore on the internet, like, grow up. But what I was going to say is, um, I don't know if you guys know this or if it's just, like, Brooklyn vibes, but Tavi lived in an apartment building in Brooklyn, this, like, huge new development that has a Whole Foods and an Apple store in it. And she lived there for free. The, like, building was paying her rent. And she just had to, like, post about living there. But then after the whole thing was over, she, like, made this... She, like, wrote this thing about, like, how it was bad or something. I don't know. I haven't read it in so long. But I feel like she'll always have... I don't want to say victim attitude. Maybe I'll find a better way to phrase that. But she always acts like she has, like, no agency in, like, the way that she participates with stuff. So I feel like if she's critiqued about this whole Amazon thing, she's just, like... I'm she can't even pretend to be like a struggling writer anymore though she's just gonna be like I'm trying to survive and but how does Tavi make her money now like that's a good question I mean she does like commentary and like documentaries and like she does little op-eds for things I'm sure she's doing fine you know like I don't I don't see her she she does things she's like a talking head Mm -hmm. now you know but something I will say about like sort of like her and I won't say this about her because I think it's a lot of people 
uh, these days or whatever. There, there's an obsession with removing accountability from like the picture. And like, this is another aspect of like the infantilized culture where you just sort of like, and Rookie was a prototype for this. Like, it's true that a teenage girl does not have the judgment to be releasing material, like especially things like articles on teaching each other how to masturbate and stuff like that's just weird and but it's also like you do have like a certain level of like autonomy and you can't erase that you know it's like it's a gray area yeah I completely agree with that do we want to talk about the cut magazine story the cut magazine the cut yeah so I guess I I tried to read the Tavi story in the cut, but it's just like I get very tired of listening to people tell their stories. It's just like every every day it's like a new celebrity or a new public figure comes out with some story about a traumatic event and I just get very like exhausted from it. No judgment. I just don't have the energy for it. Yeah. For the past couple of years, I definitely like was side-eyeing Tavi and her minions in my head because I was like, you guys are responsible for not responsible but like you guys did have a massive influence that you probably couldn't understand at the time but i think it did the empowerment narrative in the hands of most teenage girls can be very dangerous mm-hmm. and it certainly was for me or in terms of like sexual empowerment vibes but now i'm trying to just be like okay like she was really young like she didn't really she was like a child messiah like more than a prodigy she also was disseminating her own ideology and to see i guess like it's not like her being vulnerable is exactly brand new but i guess just understanding that part of her life a little better i guess i'm like okay maybe you have trouble <laughs> <laughs> that's such a bad way of putting that it's a reflective it's a generational reflection like kind of like very circular because like she was like the voice of a generation so she like inspired us all to do this like weird sexual empowerment thing in a way or just like teenage girls being very powerful and then that like now a lot of people are relating to her piece about how that had negative consequences but it's because she was preaching this in the first place that piece was also i'm just gonna say it was so weird like that she was using Britney Spears. It was like a fake movie review. It was like a vessel for an accusation. Which, like, the accusation part, like, I feel like that's what most people got out of it. Even though she doesn't name who it was. But it's, like, it's just so obvious. If you guys want to know, it's Ezra Gaby. <laughs> what do you think about her decision not to include his name? Because it's, everyone kind of, a lot of people have known for a long time. But I think now more people, after that came out, have put together that it was him. Yeah, I'm like, you seriously would have to be kind of stupid to not know, like, not figure it out. There's a photo of them together, but it was around the time when she was writing her, like, diary series about, like, everything as it was happening and was, like, making it clear that, like, there were weird vibes going on. But I guess this is, like, more of an accusation than, like, an actual recounting in the moment because I guess she's had some time to, like, look back on it. And I mean, she mentioned that mentions that too like what I thought was just like creepy vibes like actually is like this thing which yeah that made me think like okay probably I feel like I've been through a really similar experience but I wouldn't like call it abuse (laughs) I don't know but also maybe like it'll take me a few years she's kind of old but also I don't think that will happen but I thought it was good that she like addressed that ambiguity and like making these claims and like understanding your own experience and reframing it through like the tools that our culture is giving us to talk about like women and men (laughs) i agree i don't know is there anything else that rookie 
gave us or took away from us. I mean, one thing I think that I disliked about the Tavi article is that, um, you know, and I, maybe she's trying to be humble or something, but I think that it is important to remember, like, there's, like, a lot of good in the bad. Like, I think that the legacy of Rookie is more about, like, this weird aesthetic appreciation and introduction to like a cultural education for like young people that I don't think that they had access to. And then it just got out of hand. Like they got lost in their own sauce and started, like Alexi said, like (laughs) disseminating a whole ideology that they didn't understand um, the consequences of and really was more self-indulgent than it was like empowering. And that's another thing too, is I think that like, and this might be controversial to say, but like, I think that the whole concept of like, publicly telling your story I don't know how much it helps people I think it's more pleasurable to tell your story than it is therapeutic like that's just like my own perception of it especially like um just after like a wave of like op-eds like every day there's a new op-ed a new person telling their story or whatever and it just um it feels like it's more pleasurable than it is therapeutic I was I think that's definitely a point but I think with Tavi it was like probably because she was like more of like an ideology as a person versus like just a celebrity you know what I mean like I feel like she's kind of trying to take some or reflect on her influence on people like us probably by writing about that yeah no that was like I I really did love that first part there were some like great quotes in that like the just because someone is precocious like doesn't mean they're like mature you know their youth is what makes them precocious um yeah but also while she's being so humble about her impact the whole thing where she's like talking about how she's like my whiteness and like thinness and prettiness is like really like giving me privilege i'm like you were never like a sexualized figure like i if anything i literally saw you as a child my whole life like even as we grew up together i like see you as a child now yeah yeah, still i am like i don't know when she was like trying to compare herself to britney spears i was like you guys are not operating in culture like in the same way like seriously every time she opened her mouth everyone was like shut up you're literally so fucking stupid um (laughs) no but that's what i mean by like she was an ideology she like wasn't a celebrity mm -hmm. yeah but i'm like tavi stop apologizing for being skinny tbh yeah i mean also it's like like you're gonna have to drag petra collins by the fucking neck if you're gonna denounce like white skinniness i know seriously i'm like where's your bestie at (laughs) but honestly she's (laughs) now that she's working with black people it's like kind of different maybe she doesn't want to get dragged into this anymore and she's working in like totally different context like whenever i found out she was directing music videos i was like huh but i guess she doesn't know how to work the camera or something but tommy's whole thing about like i forget that section she's talking about she was in like a romper or something like in a photo shoot and then she was like looking back on it she was like this is so like nymphetish i'm like girl like no one was like seeing that like your bare legs were not making me horny (laughs) she was very small and child looking but it's also like she was doing her styling or her friends were and that's pretty clear whenever you look through any of the photo sets it's like clothes from petra's closet styling by petra or like you know what i mean it wasn't like she was being handed off to rolling stone like britney spears was Mm -hmm. it's just a different system 
Yeah. I'm like, don't try to compare, like, Britney Spears' like, actual slutty school girl uniform or, like, skin-tight latex suit to, like, you wearing a little, like, mod romper. Oh, really? Hello? That was the whole point of those that comment thread that we went over earlier that was, like... Yeah. Tali replied back to it and was like, um, actually, this is normal and good. And then, like, now she's, like, in the Britney op-ed. She's like, oh, weird that Britney Spears <laughs> was a sexy schoolgirl, but also, like, yeah, 10 years have gone by, so... I'm like, do we forgive Tavi? For- <laughs> I definitely forgive Tavi, for sure. I don't... I, I hold a, a, her um, in a high regard, even though I think her ideology is, like, horrible. I think, like, her contribution to culture was, like... It, like, outweighs her horrible ideology. Um, yeah. I think Tavi, honestly... This is, like, the letter to Tavi section. <laughs> it's like... Um, Tavi, my words for you. I think that... Most of the, like, ill will that I harbored against you was really out of jealousy, I'll admit that. It's not like she was younger than me, but she was younger than me, like, when she started, so I was like, why was I not doing shit when I was 11? And I feel like, you know, capitalism has a field day with these types of kids, um, because they make people feel like they're so unproductive, that's why Billie Eilish is, like, so hyped up, and Greta Thunberg, and I was just like, damn, I'm not on, like, Toby's timeline, like, why am I not running a major publication when I'm, like, 15? But... Obviously, I was, like, thinking a little differently, doing other stuff with my time. But, yeah, I guess I forgive her. Uh, I don't I don't know. I live kind of, like, low-key close to that apartment building that she used to live in. So I'm, like... You should protest outside of it with, like... I know. Period blood art. <laughs> I'm, like... Yeah, she wrote this whole thing about, like, Instagram and how she, like, became a brand and was, like, commodifying herself through that. I'm, like, if I was exactly. getting a free apartment for a year, like, I would shut the fuck yeah. up about it, actually. Well, I feel like this is... I have to say that I don't forgive her now because you guys forgive her, so we have to have... I mean, like... <laughs> I have to say that I'll never forgive her. <laughs> no, I, I feel like uh, actually probably being like the voice of generation just means like eventually you're going to be like a washed up loser. And I'm not saying she's a washed up loser, but I feel like if you're assigned that label, I feel bad for you in a way. I feel like Sam has something smart to say about this because Sam is like knows a lot about Catholicism. And I feel like there's something to say about feeling bad for people or like... <laughs> No, you're Pretty, supposed to yeah. dole out forgiveness as you would like to be forgiven for your own transgressions. So I will live by that. Yeah, like that's a very, that's like a central tenet to Catholicism. And I'm I'm a quietly, a, a very devout Catholic. I go to ch- church and stuff, but... um, That's really, that's good now that I'm, now that you've said that, I f- forgot that part of whatever prayer that was that I had to like chant outside my Catholic school at recess. <laughs> but yeah, forgive people as you would like to be forgiven. If I had that platform, I would be like wreaking havoc on the world, saying the most heinous shit. So the fact that she was honestly like treading lightly, like she's very palatable and not offensive. But for some reason, that makes me dislike her more. I don't know. I'm like, Tavi, say something. Get crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Even in her accusation, she's like tiptoeing around it so delicately. If I were her, I would have like shacked up with someone really rich and problematic by now. But. Mm-hmm. No, but seriously, I mean, one thing I'll say is, like, the style of every Me Too, art, like, essay or, like, expose is just so excruciating. Like, you're- It's because there's a, there's a, there's the trauma porn aspect that is there, but it's also, like, when, when you're editorializing these things, there's, like, an, people want to make them poetic. Mm-hmm. And, like, that is, 
an interesting instinct to well they want to aestheticize everything because that's the rookie that's the rookie mentality which has infected popular culture everyone needs to aestheticize everything but she's like 40 now so it's interesting to think about how she recalibrated after that intense period of you know her entire childhood and young adult life was that the way that people are the way that kids are alt today though is seriously on a different level like i saw a picture of kids from my boarding school and they look so not i will say busted um just like the over accessorization of every outfit like it has a million butterfly clips and like crazy silver jewelry and like kid core like crazy rainbow leg warmers and makeup has spiraled out of hand <laughs> totally yeah it's like they're like dipped in msg yeah, it's very crazy. It makes me think like the version of alt that I was like was very palatable. It was really just I was a stoner that was wearing like mom jeans at my high school. Like Dr. I remember Lawrence. I had the this Brandy Melville top that had a face kind of like stitched into it. Like, you know, their original halter top crop top style. Oh, yeah. I was about to say, if it's the one that says raise boys and girls the same way. <laughs> no, I would have never worn that. I like had a very ambiguous relationship to feminist feminism the time so i wouldn't have worn that but um, oh my god are you kidding in 2016 i literally had a shirt that said feminist for bernie with like a little like fist in like a <laughs> woman symbols i'm like would we be friends in high school <laughs> feminism just it wasn't part when i since like i'm older than you like it wasn't it was like a dirty word in the south still but i was not willing to get myself bullied yet like for being that girl i don't think but anyways yeah i remember like my alt version of alt style was like also this is probably a tangent but like I remember the kid I babysat, I, like, was wearing that, plus, like, a polka-dotted, like, you know those skirts that buttoned down the middle from the 90s? Mm-hmm. And one of those, and he was like, Ugh, you look like a pilgrim. Literally, if you wear anything that's long yeah. or, like, has excessive fabric, I remember, yeah, people I always tell me I look like a pilgrim. Like, I'm literally just wearing a fucking, like, high neck top. Yeah, and you're all whores. <laughs> you wouldn't get it. Yeah. It's like slutty pilgrim is definitely an aesthetic that is slutty pilgrim today, is a good though. aesthetic in my opinion. It is good, it is, yeah. But also, it's so washed up. If you go anywhere in like North Brooklyn, it's like those gun sacks, like dresses and skirts. Ugh. I used to think were really cool, but like the most washed up women are like wearing that with like a wide wide brim hat. Or something. Yeah, they always have ankles that are too large. Yeah, we should do a cankles episode. <laughs> Coming soon. So I guess our our final statement is that we forgive Tav Taffy Tommy Kevin Tavy Cat. We forget. We forgive Tavi Jevonson for what she did to our youths. But we'll never forget. <laughs> and isn't that the point of um, feminism in a way? Uh, and scene. <laughs> then i feel like we should tell people to go rate our podcast so that more people oh see yeah it. oh yeah give us five stars send us a screenshot of it in instagram dms and you'll be entered in to win a photo of my feet no <laughs> no how about something no. more delicious than even that <laughs> <laughs> um you will enter you into a raffle to win tavi's old apartment <laughs> yeah a year of rent in 200 ashland place we'll subsidize a year of rent for you <laughs> well uh thanks for listening everybody we hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope that it's brought you healing i feel honestly like i feel a sense of closure yeah, that felt like an exorcism 